Hello everyone out there on the internet. My name is Charlie and I am the campus pastor at First Methodist Amarillo. But I'm so glad to be joining you this morning as we continue our series, Messy Life Together. I'm excited about this series. It's been very powerful leading up to this point and I have full expectation that it's gonna be just as powerful and impactful today. So as we get started, would you join me in a quick moment of prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for all of those who've gathered Today, I thank you, Father, for just the, the blessing of the internet that we don't have to be in the same room uh, to be gathered together and be exploring your word. Help us today to uh, have the ability to understand what you're trying to say to us, but not just understand it, but apply it to our lives so that we might be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Help us today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Over the years, I've heard various people and groups say that we need to get back to the church of the first century. Now, when they say that, they typically mean that the church of today has gotten off track somehow, and we need to go back to the beginning when church life was somehow better. It's like saying back to the good old days. Now, growing up, I, I thought people who said, let's get back to the good old days were really old people. But now that I'm 40, it's starting to make more sense. I understand their sentiment, but in regard to the church, I don't think they completely know what they're saying or they're asking for, because I'm sure they did not have the church of Corinth in mind when they said that. Because the church of Corinth, as we've been looking at it, has struggled with many of the same issues that the church of today struggles with. There was a lot of dysfunction. And the Apostle Paul spills a lot of ink addressing the problems that the church was in and struggling with. It was a mess. And the Apostle Paul is addressing how we do this messy life together. It's, it's quite a challenge. It's not easy, but it's absolutely critical. Now, we're halfway through the series, and so far we've looked at the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. Godly wisdom is grounded in the sacrificial love of Jesus who endured the shame of the cross for our salvation. It grounds everything we do and everything that we are. This is messy wisdom, living differently from the world. And as the body of Christ, the church, we're called to live differently than the world around us. So we shouldn't be divided over petty preferences, specifically divisions caused by different factions who elevate one preacher over another, which is what was happening in Corinth. We had arguments over who was better, Apollos or Paul. These are the messy conflicts that the community and the church of Corinth had and that they were trying to address and deal with. And last week, Paul was addressing sin inside the church, sexual sin, and the sin of not confronting brothers and sisters in Jesus who were flaunting their freedom. This reminds me of one of my favorite authors, Mark Batterson, and one of my favorite quotes, who said, you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. That was what was happening in the church of Corinth. They were doing nothing wrong, but they were still doing nothing right. The, the, we had these Christians who were flaunting their freedom, but we are called to hold one another accountable for how we live. We are The unrepentant Christian, we said this last week, should not be leading in the church. And in fact, should be excluded until they repent. These messy relationships have to be addressed. 
And today we're looking at chapters 8 through 10, specifically on the issues of messy freedom. Paul is continuing to address issues that the church has gotten wrong. Or to be more precise, there are some in the church that are flaunting their freedom, and it's destroying. It's destroying the church. So let's dive right into the next issue Paul addresses, food sacrifice to idols. He just addresses that in chapters 8 and 10, and sandwiched in between there is Paul's addressing the accepting of money for ministry. And again, on first glance, these seem to be unrelated issues, but like we saw last week, Paul often uses this structure to deal with issues. It's an ABA structure. And so we see A, 8, 1 through 13 of 1 Corinthians, food sacrifice to idols. Right below that in B, 9, 1 through 18, we have money for ministry, which is a digression. And then right below that, again, we talk about food sacrifice to idols. But the bigger issue at stake here is freedom. How do we define freedom? How does our freedom operate in the gray areas of life, those areas that aren't really clear? And the issues involved in this discussion are fairly complex. And and what I've learned and what I encourage our church to do is when they come across a text that is confusing or frustrating or offensive, many times that's an indication that we need more context. And so let's dig in and see if we can understand a little bit more context as we look at what Paul is trying to say. See, Paul had apparently written to the Corinthians to address some of the issues going on in the church. And the church had written back to Paul disagreeing with him. And it seems like there are some in the church who wrote back to Paul claiming they had knowledge, knowledge that idols are nothing. And so food sacrifice to idols doesn't mean anything. Therefore, they can go to pagan temples and essentially have dinner parties. They think it's harmless because idols aren't really anything anyway. And it seems like they're even encouraging other Christians who Paul calls weak to do the same thing that they're doing. They are correct that idols are not real, but what we find is the manner in which they are approaching the situation with their fellow Christians is harmful and unloving. So here Paul is using some of their statements to combat their conclusions. We see, for example, in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 in the NRSV, it says, Now concerning food sacrifice to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Paul is actually warning the church of Corinth that knowledge without love quickly becomes a weapon. Knowledge without love quickly becomes a weapon. We've all been around those people who have a lot of knowledge, but they're no fun to be around. In all of chapter 8, Paul is using the statements of the Corinthian church against them. It's, it's almost like a teacher who is scolding a student who thinks because they Googled something, they're suddenly now an expert. Paul will state that their love must limit their freedom. This was a tough word for Corinthians. But if I'm honest, I think this is probably a challenging for challenging word for us as Americans as well. As Americans, we were raised from the cradle on individual freedoms. So Paul is urging the church and he's urging American Christians like you and me to remember that the essence of Christian theology is love. We should never flaunt our freedom. We should always love first. 
Let me quote directly from Ben Witherington, a New Testament scholar on this issue of freedom. He says this, For Paul, freedom is freedom from sin, from fear and death, from the law, and for the service to Christ and his people. This is what Christians have been saved and empowered for. Freedom to do what pleases God, not what pleases self. This is the messy freedom that we should live into. Freedom to do what pleases God. So with that in mind, let's read again chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge. But anyone who loves God is known by him. And hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists, and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. Since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of food they eat as food offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours did not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if others see you who possess knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, might they not, since their conscience is weak, be encouraged to the point of eating food sacrificed to idols? So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause of their failing, I will never eat meat, so that I may not cause one of them to fall. So there are at least three things highlighted in this chapter that we need to be aware of. Number one, what is safe for one Christian may not be safe for another. To have true discernment requires love as well as knowledge. Remember, knowledge without love quickly becomes a weapon. As followers of Jesus, we do not have a right to demand certain freedoms if they bring down other Christians around us. And we also have to understand what Paul means when he talks about weak Christians. This is not a negative or a discouraging comment by Paul. This isn't someone who is weak morally, but it is someone whose conscience may be more sensitive about doing something because it might bring dishonor to God. The church is dealing with differing cultural issues. That's important to realize. And I personally interpret the weak Christian as possibly being those from Jewish descent who are still trying to keep kosher rules and think it would be a great offense to God to eat meat that was sacrificed to an idol in a pagan temple. So we have these struggles between Gentile Christians who don't see anything wrong with it and Jewish Christians who still worry that it might be offensive to the Lord. And Paul is telling the church that the boundaries of Christian living should be theological primarily, is it one God, one Lord, and also ethical, no sexual immorality, for example. So we have these two boundaries, theological and ethical. And this is really important for us to remember, especially when we're encountering cultural differences among our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. If we have differences of culture, 
that don't cross theological or ethical boundaries, we should not get hung up on those. We should not demand our own way culturally. But again, as Christians, we should first act out of biblical love. And let me pause for just a moment and talk about biblical love. I use that word strategically because there are so many, again, differences of opinion and, and different thoughts on what it means to love someone. But as Christians, we should be using the Bible to define our beliefs and our actions. And so when it comes to loving our neighbors or loving those in the community around us, it should be biblical love, that sacrificial love that we talked about earlier, that Christ set the example for us. But we're going to be digging into that more the further we get into 1 Corinthians. We're actually in a few weeks going to be talking about more specifically what biblical love looks like. But just remember that we're, we're trying to express a love that Jesus set the example of, not a love that, the, that worldly wisdom says is appropriate or accurate. And Paul wraps this argument in chapter 10. Let's read his conclusions. 1 Corinthians 10, 23-32. All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience, for the earth and its fullness are the Lord's. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it out of consideration for the one who informed you and for the sake of your conscience. I mean the other's conscience, not your own. For why should my liberty be subject to the judgment of someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why should I be denounced because of what for that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everything, everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, so that they may be saved. You see, we don't flaunt our freedom. We are free to serve others above ourselves. That's biblical love. Let me give you an example. I really like Chinese food. Not all the time, but I, I really enjoy Chinese food. Sometimes it's just what you're in the mood for. Uh, even sushi, there are times that we've just got as a family, go get some sushi. Now, throughout my years of visiting a variety of, of Chinese food restaurants, there have been a time or two that when I walked into the restaurant, I noticed what was most likely idols. Uh, expressions of worship, of of a different culture than my own and a different religion than Christianity. Now, for me personally, that did not stress me out very much. That did not prevent me from eating there. Number one, because I wasn't 100% sure if that idol had interacted with the food that I was eating or had been sacrificed in honor of the food that I was eating. But also because like the Corinthians uh, in the church of Corinth, I know that idols are, are nothing and that that doesn't concern me uh, when it comes to eating food. But imagine if I had a friend, a Christian uh, friend, and I invited them to join me for lunch. And as we were walking into the restaurant, they noticed these idols and it really concerned them. It really burdened them to the point that they said, hey, Charlie, I just don't feel comfortable eating here. Did you not notice the idols on the shelf or above the door when we walked in? Now, what's an appropriate response for me in that moment? Should I just say, wow, 
Where's your faith? Don't you know that idols are nothing? What is there to worry about? Stop being a scaredy cat. Just, just come on. The, the, the egg rolls are delicious here. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very loving. That doesn't sound very Christ-like. Wouldn't it be a more biblical response to say, I understand. I understand your concern. So where would you like to go and eat? Where would you feel comfortable enjoying a meal? And then while we gather for that meal, maybe that, that meal creates a context for us to have a conversation and we could talk about what aspects of the presence of those idols made them feel anxious or uncomfortable and I could share my point of view and as two Christians we could come to a greater understanding of one another. See that to me sounds like a a more biblical expression of love than pressuring my friend to eat food and, and violate their own conscience. That's the kind of biblical love that we're called to live according to Paul in 1 Corinthians. So as we wrap up today I want us to go back to our scripture from chapter 9. This is actually the piece that's sandwiched between the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols. And in this little section is a beautiful digression because Paul takes a moment to expand out our freedom beyond how one Christian interacts with another Christian. Paul actually explains how our freedom in Jesus expands our ministry to evangelism, expands our ministry to evangelism that seeks to save the lost. This freedom we have in Jesus should lead us to live in a biblical way that brings others to Jesus. Let's read that scripture again. This again is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. Although I'm free from all and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jew, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself if not, though I myself am not under the law, to win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, I live like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but am under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel so that, I may be sh- so that I may share in the blessings. See what Paul was saying is that we have been set free to live a life of biblical love. Biblical love. As we have been called to live a life within the boundaries of the- theology and moral ethics to express love to the lost around us. Not just express it with our words, but also express it with our actions. Why? So that they may know Christ and receive his salvation. So as we close today, I want to invite you to take a next step. One next step. And the next step that I invite you to to take today is to begin thinking about somebody that you know that you're not 100% sure if they're a Christian or not, or maybe you're absolutely sure they're not a Christian. And I want you to begin praying about building a relationship with that individual and looking for opportunities to share with that person why Christ means so much to you, how Christ has moved and worked in your life, how, how much you know he loves you and why you know he loves you. 
Now, in saying that, if your response was, Charlie, I don't, I don't know anybody who's not a Christian, okay, start praying that you would meet one. Start praying that you would build a friendship or have an interaction with maybe a neighbor or a coworker who doesn't know Christ, and then you'd have the opportunity to live out biblical love around them and share the, the love of Christ with them. So I, I hope that this word challenges you. It challenges you not to flaunt your freedom or weigh your freedom above the, the brother or sister around you who might be struggling or might have a different cultural perspective. And it might challenge you as well to look for opportunities to live biblical love and to share biblical love with those around you. God bless you and have a great week.